Hello and welcome to the Immersive Wire. My name is Tom Fisk and we'll be talking to James Watson, the CMO at Immerse. Uh, he's been working in digital marketing innovation for over 20 years and has, for lack of a better word, a ton of experience in marketing immersive products. And I felt that because of that perspective, he would be interesting to uh, speak to today. So without the way, let us begin. This episode is sponsored by Make Real. Blending learning theory, gaming interaction design, and technical excellence, MakeReal creates immersive learning experiences based upon measured, validated outcomes. From virtual reality to web and mobile serious games, MakeReal Limited works with large global enterprise customers across a range of sectors, including AEC, automotive, and finance. If you would like to learn more, make sure to visit makereal.co.uk. Thank you for sponsoring. Hello, and welcome to the Immersive Wire interview. My name is Tom Fisk, and I'll let my guest today introduce himself. Hi, Tom. My name is James Watson. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer of Immerse, and we are a virtual reality software company who have developed a enterprise platform that enables organizations to create, scale, and measure virtual reality training. Amazing. So how the hell did you enter that job role? Well, hey, that's, that's a really good one. It was um, previous to joining Immerse, I was with a sort of creative technology agency called Imagination. And as part of that, there was a lot of kind of experiential um, opportunities that they would uh, work on. Like they did a virtual reality launch for actually for Jaguar's first electric car. Um, which was pretty cool because it was about four four years ago where they had a group of people in LA, a group of people in London, brought them all together in virtual reality and they could look at the car and, you know, lots of celebs involved. Um, so there was a lot of work in the sort of virtual reality um, sector there. And I started kind of leading an immersive technology, you know, offering within the agency. And it was quite funny because I'd speak at a few conferences and I'd talk about, and, and then I'd be asked to talk about, VR in marketing and sales, um, which of course it has a role, but I've always had an eye more on the opportunity within enterprise for virtual reality, be that in training, visualization and collaboration. And what I found is I'd be at conferences talking all about the opportunity in marketing, which is, as I said, you know, has, has validity for sure. But then I'd say, but I think the real opportunity is in enterprise VR. And eventually I got bored with myself talking about the opportunity being an enterprise VR and me being in more the experiential marketing space. So I thought, time to get on and do something. So I was you know, in the right position at the right time, met uh, Tom Simmons, our CEO. Uh, and over the course of a few months, you know, discussions led through to, to being offered the role. So you know, as with so many jobs, uh, right time, right place, um, a, a small amount of skill and a lot of luck. Mm. What was it like working in imagination? Yeah, really fun. I mean, there's some brilliant minds in that. It's a, it's a creative agency. Um, so clients would come to us with, you know, business challenges to solve, messaging to develop. Um, and, you know, there were some brilliant people there from a creative perspective and also a sort of creative technology perspective. So, you know, looking at what technologies uh, are out there that can help, you know, clients get to where they need to get to, you know, be that, you know, virtual reality or be that, you know, internet of things, whatever, whatever is the right solution. So it was a lot of fun. We, we had, had this really 
amazing lab there that had every piece of tech in that you could imagine you know as soon as something came out you know we'd get it like the, the first hololens we got in there really quickly and you know the first um oculus dk1 um you know so we had all the toys uh we had a really good client list and you know lots of really clever people i mean i i, I was you know on the sort of account side um so you know i just pointed clever creative uh, technology people at the problems and they generally came up with you know some phenomenal um uh, solutions right I, I just like the idea of just having a lab where you just get to play around with stuff oh, it was um, brilliant it was i mean it started off when i first got there it was literally like a man cave so it was really sort of quite grungy and sort of people would be sort of actually building things down there so it was it wasn't particularly client friendly but we'd sort of try and tidy it up and bring clients in and then it got a massive makeover about two three years ago and it turned into like walking onto you know the the um the, the deck of the starship enterprise it was very slick and i took my my daughters came in one christmas and i took them down there and their eyes like popped out and there's all this tech it all looks super slick and they just you know from then on they were just like oh my god you have the coolest job you know the fact that i'd probably get down into the lab you know once a month you know they they thought pretty much i think i, I worked in there you know all day long um so yeah it was it was really good fun it was um it was a really good environment and uh, you know chucking a load of cool tech and you know it's about as good as it gets really I mean, yeah, I just, yeah, I, can't, I, I just think that'll be so much fun to do. Um, but then you moved on to the company and now do a lot of in enterprise stuff. I remember going to your breakfast event. Yeah, and that breakfast was, briefing back in November. Yeah, back when we were able to meet each other. Yeah, yeah back fun. when you could actually see a human being face to face. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. It was cool seeing all these case studies. The, um, the submarine one comes to mind as particularly interesting. Same with DHL, actually. Yeah. Um, what I found actually quite remarkable, the DHL examples, you were very honest by saying you were trying to sell the idea internally in DHL as well. Yeah. Because you were trying to push forward with that. And it, it always struck me as that was one of the biggest barriers for companies like yours. Yeah. Where you're trying to prove the, um, the key holders, as it were, in the companies that this is valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if it doesn't get bought by key stakeholders internally, then it's just going to stay as a pilot or, or a proof of concept. And I think that is often the biggest challenge because, you know, you'll start your interaction, you know, with something that's a more sort of new form of technology. You're generally going to be starting with, say, the innovation team. You know, their job is to be out there hunting for you know, new technology that can, you know, improve a business, can change process, can can have a real impact. And they need to be looking at what is the next thing. And they're always kind of, you know, trying to find find that that technology. So, you know, you'll often be engaging there. The challenge then is, you know, they will have budgets. Their budgets aren't generally particularly substantial. Um, you know, they'll sort of go up to a ceiling whereby they can commission, you know, a proof of concept. But then that proof of concept has to be sold to the business because it's the different business units who are going to operationalize that. You know, the, the, the different business units are going to take that from a, a proof of concept through from to pilot to full rollout. Um, so the job of selling it to the different um, you know, parts of the business is the key part. Um, and, you know, understanding 
what the business is looking for. If you, if you get a good innovation, uh, you know, head of innovation or, or, or that role, and they understand their business well, and they understand who the key stakeholders are, then, you know, they're going to be able to navigate it through to the right point, obviously, you know, with a strong business case behind it. Um, but yeah, a lot of the challenge is that, you know, getting from proof of concept into something, you know, that is actually going to have an impact on the business. Um, and um, if you get the right approach, then it's, it's, going to, it's going to have the right impact. What I would say is that, you know, virtual reality, particularly in the training uh, arena, is slowly becoming more accepted. You know, there's less of the, you know, as I've described it, is less of why use VR for training and it's moving more into a how would I use it? How would I implement it? How would I measure it? How would I deploy it? So I think as the technology matures, there will be more direct, and we do have direct conversations with, you know, directly into sort of parts of the business training or HR, but, you know, there will be more conversations that are directly with the business owner because they will know it's something they need to consider as mm. opposed to need to be sold it by their innovation team and convinced to use it. You know, it's obviously, I'm not saying all businesses get that at the moment, but there's definitely a movement towards, okay, I hear enough about, you know, virtual reality and training that I kind of know I need to look at it and I kind of know it's not going to just disappear as some, you know, fad. Um, and so that's, you know, that's helping conversations move on quicker and, and not always having to go through an innovation route. Yeah, I mean, it's always struck me that the, the conversation is moving on from now. It also struck me also there's a lot more competitors in the field as well. Um, so how do you say your company compares to others? I'm thinking along the lines of uh, Make Real and Accenture. Yeah, well, I, I, interesting enough, um, we don't see Make Real as a competitor, uh, Tom. You know, the, the good thing there is they are more in sort of the creating of the content itself. We at Immerse are more about the platform that enables that content to be used by organizations. So, oh, interesting. You know, so, you know, we would look at Make Real as someone who, you know, in the future, who knows, it could be more of a, a partnership piece because whilst we do create content, some content at the moment, that is more out of necessity because often customers will say, well, look, we want to do a proof of concept. Can you create the content? Can you then put it on the platform? deploy it, measure it, all those sorts of things. But, you know, the, the, the ultimate goal for us is we will offer licenses, or we, we do offer licenses to our platform, um, but it would just be purely a SaaS model for us. So, you know, moving away from, there, there will always, I think, be certain times where we create content and we've got great in-house designers, but the bigger ambition for us is that we're, we're a pure SaaS-based company and we ultimately sell um, platform licenses and end user licenses to our platform. So on that front, you know, we are pretty much unique in the market. There is no one that has the platform that we have that has been built from the ground up for enterprise. So, you know, the likes, the competitors who will come up in the market and, and have a similar offering, but not, not the same offering would be um, people like uh, Striver, uh, out of the US and a company called Tailspin, um, also out of the US. And, yeah. you know, it's it's those guys who are more in the space, but they have a platform, you know, they've started more in the content game 
and as they've gone along they've realized they need some sort of platform to house the content and sort of push it out so they've kind of developed from we've got all this great content okay now we're getting asked sort of more grown-up questions by our customers like you know how do i deploy it how do i measure it how do i manage users so they've then sort of organically developed a platform which is fine but what it isn't is something that has just been built from the ground up for enterprise with a view to okay what do enterprises need they need integration with existing learning management systems okay fine we need to do that they need robust measurement they need the ability to manage uh, all their users they need it to be secure all these sorts of things so i and i am absolutely for sure biased but in my <laughs> view there is nothing else out on the market that offers what we have at the moment that will change which i don't see as a bad thing because if it changes and we're getting more competition then that's just a um verification of the value that that vr brings um in this space so more competition the better we're very comfortable and confident in what we have um and you know the, the more choice people have the more comfortable they are in the fact that they have a choice as opposed to you know not having so much of a choice when there's so few vendors yeah uh, for sure uh, i i just interested to see here and see how pe comp companies like yours can differentiate themselves compared to others yeah yeah and it's um you know it's it's really important to be able to relate it to your potential customers in a way that they understand you know and um you know the ideal customer for us is someone who's already done some vr um but is looking to really kind of operationalize it you know to really push it out across an organization and, and need all the sort of measurement and all those things that i've talked about so you know and the way i talk about it to sort of help people understand is you know they may have created a, a very good piece of vr content that achieves what they need to achieve be that you know health and safety training or onboarding of new employees but often that piece of content will be kind of a standalone piece you know they'll have developed it um, as a proof of concept everyone buys in they think think it's great and, and they want to do it they then have no real idea of okay well how do i how do I measure this and deploy it across, you know, 30,000 employees um, and, you know, manage all those employees and track that they've completed the training and all these sorts of questions. So it's kind of taking it from an outlier piece of content, and really pushing it into the heart of the, uh, the enterprise. So, you know, when you talk about how you're differentiated, you need to relate it back to what people want to understand and not be caught up in, you know, talking about all your, you know, perceived USPs. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's take a step away from the business aspect to you, towards you personally. How would you market a company like Immerse? Well, I think, you know, we've, we've got some pretty key sort of company values that we have, which are quite easy to sort of play to in a sort of outward communications way, which is, you know, we are, we spent a long time developing the platform. We have some incredibly talented developers uh, and we're very confident in the technology we have. And what that means is we are a very straightforward and honest um, uh, company to deal with. Uh, and that's not suggesting others aren't, but what I mean by that is we don't feel we have to dress things up. You know, we feel that we can literally say it, it does what it says on the tin. Uh, we're not having to couch it in sort of overly complex messaging or sort of uh, over promise what it does. 
So how that translates into, you know, marketing the company, you know, we are very much um, based on providing insight to the market. You know, we never really go out and sell. We would rather do, um, you know, we have a, a, our own webinar program. We've recently launched a white paper. Um, so really for us, it's going out, sharing our insight, um, demonstrating that we're thought leaders in this space uh, and that we have, you know, strong customer base to, to make food, people feel confident of working with us. Um, but it's really just that, you know, that confidence in our technology, which gives us the license to be honest, open, um, and just and share insight. Um, so I, I find it very easy to market the organization based on that and, and really enjoy doing it because I'm not having to dress things up in, you know, too much uh, overblown promises. Uh, so would you say your main channels were LinkedIn and talking to thought leaders or is there different channels you use? So yeah, different channels. Um, you know, there's obviously an important paid media aspect to, to any business nowadays. So, you know, stuff that any, any aspiring um, marketer will be looking into, which is, you know, Google AdWords, um, you know, also paid, some paid advertising on LinkedIn. Um, yes, posting, content i mean the content marketing piece is key which which you know you you will know better than most is creating valuable content you know the white paper being a great example and making sure you're including really good insight and it's something that people want to consume um, and so pushing that out so that whole sort of thought leadership content marketing the webinars we run which i think you may have been on one or two tom i don't know i don't know if you managed to I, I i'm not sure if i'm honest because it uh immersed us so many different things <laughs> yeah i mean which is good right you've got to you've got to have lots of i mean that's a good point you've got to have lots of different channels running you don't want to be put all your basket in just you know going and buying um a load of google adwords you've got to have mm -hmm. all the other pieces all the other touch points so that you are you know maximizing the opportunity of potential customers to interact with you because you know these are these are not quick um, or insignificant um, commissions for customers. So, you know, the decision-making process can, you know, it will certainly be at least months um, and in some cases even longer. So you have to make sure that you're, you know, hitting them on different points uh, across the journey. But, you know, creating our own content, pushing that out across the right channels, making sure you're getting the right messaging that's going to fit, you know, your, your target demographic um, and, you know, all those things but all ladders up to you know there's a sort of broadcast element to it but all ladders up to you know a thought leadership position and you know position of being we believe we have the the best product in the market as it stands and therefore you know demonstrating that out in in uh, in external communications is you know is key for us for sure yeah um i just think the reason why I ask these marketing questions is as someone with a background in marketing, to find it fascinating how yeah. companies kind of conduct themselves and do these approaches. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's, it's the lifeblood of a company, you know, you, you, your inbound leads and your, you know, interactions with potential customers, that's, you know, that is, is everything, you know, and, um, 
you know, finding ways of doing that and making sure you're differentiating yourself and using whatever channels you can see. And I think it's important to be open to new opportunities that come up. You know, if there's, you know, there's um, recently LinkedIn have launched a sort of lead gen uh, aspect to some of their paid uh, advertising, which is something we're trying mm. as well. So you, you've got to be on top of, you know, what opportunities uh, come up that sort of um, evolve over time. So, you know, and you've got to work out where you're getting best bang for your, your marketing buck as well. So, you know, if one channel isn't, you know, working particularly well, well, shift that budget over, you know, if that's going to be moving it from, you know, from Bing to Google or moving it from, you know, uh, a webinar program to, you know, pure SEO related work, you know, you've just got to make sure you've got enough levers available so that you get the right combination of, of, of those levers to, to get you the right kind of result and the right kind of leads and, you know, ultimately leading through into increasing your revenue because that's ultimately what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Now I've got, I normally have a list of things I ask people and I always throw in a more silly question, but <laughs> yeah, now it's the end of the week. Uh, you're tired, you're done for the day and you just want to unwind and you want to get yourself a takeaway. What takeaway do you get? I'm just, I'm, I'm really, I'm just a pizza guy. I just, <laughs> just, you know, put a big, an order in with Domino's or a big, anything with pepperoni on. I don't really, you know, just if there's pepperoni on it, I'm very happy. Yeah. So something meaty then? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's pepperoni. The, the other day we actually got Domino's in for the family and my daughter, uh, I think went for a ham and pineapple. I personally think anyone that has, has, fruit on a pizza that something something relatively bad should happen to them mm. i just think it's i just think it's wrong just wrong you know why would you put fruit on a pizza I don't know. yeah um, I, I, I guess as a follow-up to that what's it like working with your in the same house as your family yeah it's um i mean what i'm finding is because you know everyone is doing it so it's not like you know people are, are making the choice so therefore people right, are, are there any like individual um challenges you faced well uh, yeah i mean i mean it didn't really matter because as i was gonna you know people are more understanding but yeah you know my daughter walking in halfway through a call and um i think she'd made some omelet for a school project and putting it beside me saying here you go here's your, here's your omelette was a little interesting. Everyone else on the call found it absolutely hilarious. I was slightly mortified. Um, so, you know, you've got that, you've got to sort of define your space. Um, but because everyone, everyone's been through, I mean, the amount of, uh, the other day, I think I spent eight hours on Zoom calls, which was exceptional, but you know, it's eight always- hours yeah, Zoom eight hours. And surely when you reach a point like that, you have to wonder, surely that's too many meetings and not enough action sometimes. I mean, this was, this was exceptional, you know, yeah. I would say on average, it's probably more like, you know, two, maybe three. Um, so that was exceptional, but I was, you know, pretty much from start of day to end of day on calls, which yeah, is, is quite hard work. It um, is. But the thing being, I think, you know, everyone is now video conferencing and therefore everyone is running into little problems here or there you know a, a lot of people if they've got kids the kids will have come in at an inappropriate time but 
everyone can kind of relate to it. Mm. Um, and because we're all, you know, we have to do it. I think people are a lot more forgiving because, you know, it's not like I've decided to work from home and, you know, don't have the right space to work in. It's like if someone's working from home and it's not really an ideal space and the kids are walking past or whatever, it's like, well, that's because they have to. Um, mm. So, you know, there's, there's been nothing overly embarrassing, um, you know, and I'm lucky enough that there's enough space here to, to have a bit of private space. But yeah, I mean, I think for other people, it must be if you, if you are in, you know, circumstances that don't give you nice sort of private space to operate in, it must be incredibly hard. Um, I mean, interestingly, I see, I think, was it, um, was it Twitter came out with the, they're going to allow people, not allow that, not expecting people to come back into the office unless they choose to uh, up until the end of the year. Did you see that? I did see that, yeah. Uh, but, that, but it really depends which company you're thinking of. I mean, I think there's a lot of um, companies have come across where effectively they said, you can work from home and it's likely this is going to be the new normal until like the end of the year yeah. across lots of companies. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people are uh, are allowing for. So, I mean, certainly, I think it's I think it's really interesting in that how it will have changed people's views of remote working. Um, people who were maybe sceptical before will have hopefully been positively surprised. Um, you know, because it's a forced, a, a mass forced experiment, really, isn't it? So, you know, I think from that perspective, you know, of unfortunately the many negatives that will come out of this, which will be for sure in the majority hopefully some slightly different views on you know quality of life and how people you know need to travel for work or commute or what have you hopefully i think there'll be a more open attitude come out of this mm. um, as to how things can work because if it's worked well enough and i'm not saying every company has probably moved to remote working successfully but i think a number will have and I think that will make people question as we come out of this um, scenario. And I, you know, as you say, it's it's not going to be quick. Even if lockdown rules are being, you know, um, relaxed, still economically wise, and and um, you know, from that perspective, it's going to take a lot longer. But I'd like to think, you know, attitudes would have changed a little bit, and there'll be some sort of positive um, sort of work-life balance changes coming off the back of that. Yeah. Um, I'm expecting more people working from home for sure, but it depends which industries as well. Cause mo let's face it, a lot of industries are not going to change. They need people in the office yeah. Yeah. and you can argue that like certainly for collaboration, being in the office with people is super important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. In some industries, like, you know, my previous industry, the creative industries, you know, that, thrives on you know people being in a room together bouncing ideas off you know and um sort of being you know a, a creative approaches to problem solving so absolutely in those kind of environments you still need that collaboration but do you need people to be in the office you know five days a week you know no you really you, don't you know you definitely need people to get together but you know maybe they can do that across two days or, 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 you know, whatever, certainly less than five. So I think there are, you know, of course, some industries, absolutely, you know, manufacturing, anything like that, you have to be in a location, you know, you can't do that remotely. But I think other industries, you know, maybe there'll be, you know, just that balance come in 
um, whereby they've tried this, you know, as I said, forced experiment uh, for, for want of a better term, uh, and realize it's worked, you know, certainly as well as, you know, what they were doing before. And I think the challenge will be, you know, if it has worked well enough, it's quite hard for organizations to say, we're going to just bounce back to the, what it was before, because mm. I think employees will probably balk at that and say, but hang on, you know, why are you making me travel to this place to work five days a week when I wasn't in at all and you said I was doing a, a, a good job? So I think there'll be some, I think there'll be some challenges for, for certain companies who try to just drop back to what they did before without really having a level of justification. Um, because I think employees are going to be, you know, th their expectations have been set. I think if, if they've worked well with this remote piece, you know, they've got a pretty strong argument, I'd say. I think so too. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me in this podcast today. Is there anything else you would like to explore further or you have additional insights on? Um, I think, like, I, I think sort of taking on that, the hope that there'll be some positives that come out of this um, whole horrendous pandemic situation is what I hope is that there not only is sort of slightly different views as to sort of working practices, but I'm hoping that there'll be a bit more of an openness to um, new technology as well that can help solve some of the problems we've run into um, during this sort of during the lockdown. So, you know, I'm just hoping that, as I said, unfortunately, the majority of the impact will, of course, be negative. But I just really mm -hmm. hope that there's a, a slight mindset shift. So more openness to new technology, more openness to different ways of working. Um, and that, you know, maybe we can look back in a couple of years time when hopefully the economy is, is improving and say, well, actually, it was a horrendous time. But look at the sort of long term legacy of it is, you know, better working practices, better work life balance, better use of technology. So I may be being a little overly sort of um, optimistic on that front. But I would certainly hope that, you know, we come out and are able to look back in time and go, OK, many negatives but actually there's some good sort of longer term positives yeah uh i like that uh just see what positives will come forward in the future yeah oh well thank you so much uh thank you for joining uh where can listeners find you personally so i'm uh pretty active on linkedin um you just search for james watson and uh i do the odd the odd tweet which is uh james c watson so yeah linkedin or twitter um, feel free to contact me via either of those. Fantastic. And if you want to follow Virtual Perceptions, you'll find us at virtualperceptions.com. Thank you to everyone. I hope you all have an excellent day. And cease recording. Now, what I should